I am in pangs of separation of the beautiful beloved. Let's go, let's go. Bhajan Chiloni Sayo Sirsa, Master Kripal Singh, on page four. You always remain with the Lord, and we suffer pain day and night. Every moment, we deaf ones are being washed away in sorrows. We are neither on this shore nor on that shore. Fortunate are those souls that live with you every moment. We have been bearing millions of sufferings by sitting and rubbing our knees. In every conversation we feel pain and the whole world looks barren. Come soon and show your face. I am in pain without your darshan. My hope and wish is not fulfilled and I am sitting outside the boundary crying. Without you, O beloved, I am dead while alive. I offer my life to you. O beloved Samhain, where did you go? I, the prisoner, am spending my life weeping. I sit and count the stars at night. In the day I spend my time looking at the road for you. Hundreds of times I dreamed, O oh my Lord, you have forgotten me. Why did you bring me close to you by telling me nice things? Oh, dear Samhain, without you I am dead. Without your darshan I have gone crazy. I cry, oh Samhain, please come out of the curtain now and have conversations of love with me. Your shoes are much better than I. They are always with you. I wander around in hot sand. Please come soon. I am surrounded by death. I am in pain for want of the darshan of my beloved Samhain. Let us all go to Sirsa. I am in pangs of separation of the beautiful beloved. Let's go, let's go. Bhajan of Master Kripal on page four. Hardum Bahire Gamma. 
Yeah. 
and Jeanette's on Thursday night at 6.30. All right. Um, dear friends, I want to consider the whole question of uh, judgment and judging in connection with measuring and limiting and also in connection with the idea of sin as missing the point. Um, I've said many times, and I'm sure some of you, Judith, used to get so tired of my making reference to Greek words and saying this means that and so forth. Um, but I think that the term hamartia, right, the Greek word that is translated sin, in the New Testament, uh, and its Hebrew equivalent also, uh, it's, I think it's very important to realize that that refers to missing the mark. It's an archery term, and it is what is used in archery when the arrow does not hit the target. And that is the concept of sin that underlies every mention of it in the New Testament. And it's it to me that was a radical um, 
opening of the door onto understanding something in a way that I never had before. To which we could uh, add Master Kripal's definition in The Wheel of Life. He says, saints give a very simple definition of sin as forgetting of origin. Okay, we forget who we really are, so we miss the point of our existence because we are in ignorance um, as to uh, its basic um, why. And in bearing all that in mind, I want to read a few selections from various masters, including Jesus and Rumi and Kripal and Sanchi. So, kind of the spectrum there. Um, this is a very famous section from the Bible. It's from chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. A uh, very brief section on judging. He says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged, because the judgments you give are the judgments you will get, and the standard you use will be the standard used for you. Why do you observe the splinter in your brother's eye and never notice the great log in your own? And how dare you say to your brother, let me take that splinter out of your eye, when look, there's a great log in your own. Hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye first, and then you will see clearly enough to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. And notice there that this is not really, we tend to think that when the masters lay down the law to us, you know, that it's a question of obedience of something extraneous, so that makes it kind of a, um, um, makes it hard, we think. But notice that really this is a, a, um, a pointer to the way things work cosmically. And uh, we are to not judge, not because we'll be bad people if we judge, but for our own sake, because the judgment, whatever we give, is what we'll get. And the Master is pointing out how that is true. And along with that is a parable, and again, I, I have read this at Satsang a number of times. I think it illustrates the point that he just made. This is also from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 18. And so the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who decided to settle his accounts with his servants. When the reckoning began, they brought him a man who owed 10,000 talents, which is, as the note points out, about $60 million. He had no means of paying, excuse me. So his master gave orders that he should be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions to meet the debt. At this, the servant threw himself down at his master's feet with the words, be patient with me and I will pay the whole sum. And the servant's master felt so sorry for him that he let him go and canceled the debt. Now, as this servant went out, he happened to meet a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. 
which, as the note points out, is about $200 compared to the debt of $60 million that the first servant had owed. And he seized him by the throat and began to throttle him, saying, Pay what you owe me. His fellow servant fell at his feet and appealed to him, saying, Be patient with me and I will pay you. But the other would not agree. On the contrary, he had him thrown into prison till he should pay the debt. His fellow servants were deeply distressed when they saw what had happened, and they went to their master and reported the whole affair to him. Then the master sent for the man and said to him, You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours when you appealed to me. Were you not bound then to have pity on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the torturers till he should pay all his debt. And that is how my heavenly father will deal with you unless you each forgive your brother from your heart. And again, I would point out that this is a glimpse into inner workings of things that are not available to us ordinarily and which when we make judgments and form limitations and measure things and give ourselves the illusion that we understand what is happening, um, we miss the point. And so for our own benefit and protection, the masters point this out, basically. I want to... Um, Along this line, it's not exactly the same idea, but it, it develops it in interesting ways, I think. Um, from Milana Rumi's Masnavi, a story that Master Kripal used to tell, uh, quite a lot actually. It's in the complete version of Simran, The Sweet Remembrance of God, which is published in The Way of the Saints. And Master says he's quoting from the Masnavi when he tells the story. Once that famous saint Bayezid came to his disciples, saying, Lo, I myself am God Almighty. That man of spiritual gifts being visibly beside himself said, There is no God beside me. Worship me. Next morning, when his ecstatic state had passed, they said, You said so-and-so, which was impious. He answered, If I do so again, straightway slay me with your knives. God is independent of me. I am in the body. If I say that again, you must kill me. When that holy person had given this injunction, each of his disciples made ready his knife. Again, that overflowing cup became beside himself, and his recent injunctions passed from his mind. Alienation came upon him, reason went astray, the dawn shone forth, and his lamp paled at its light. Reason is like an officer when the king appears. The officer then loses his power and hides himself. Reason is God's shadow. God is the sun. What power has the shadow before the sun? When a man is possessed by an evil spirit, the qualities of humanity are lost in him. 
whatever he says is really said by that spirit, though it seems to proceed from the man's mouth. When the spirit had this rule and dominance over him, the agent is the property of the spirit and not himself. His self is departed and he has become the spirit. The Turk, without instruction, speaks Arabic. When he returns to himself, he knows not a word of it. Seeing God is Lord of spirits and of man, how can he be inferior in power to a spirit? In other words, if an evil spirit can possess somebody, which the masters um, agree happens, um, and that person is possessed by the evil spirit and expresses what that evil spirit wants to express without any doing of his own, why can't God do the same thing? He is saying that God does do that. He also can take possession of us, and then uh, God will be speaking through us. When the eagle of alienation from self took wing, Bayezid began to utter similar speeches. The torrent of madness bore away his reason, and he spoke more impiously than before. Within my vesture is nothing but God, whether you seek him on earth or in heaven. His disciples all became mad with horror and struck with their knives at his holy body. Each one, like the assassins of Kardko, without fear, aimed at the body of his chief. Each who aimed at the body of the sheikh, his stroke was reversed and wounded the striker. No stroke took effect on that man of spiritual gifts, but the disciples were wounded and drowned in blood. Each who had aimed a blow at his neck saw his own throat cut and gave up the ghost. He who had struck at his breast had cleft his own breast and killed himself. They who knew better that Lord of Felicity, who had not courage enough to strike a deadly blow, their half-knowledge held their hands back. They saved their lives, but slightly wounded themselves. On the morrow, those disciples, diminished in number, raised lamentations in their houses. They went to Bayezid, thousands of men and women, saying, the two worlds are hidden in thy vesture. If this body of thine were that of a man, it would have perished of sword wounds like a man's. The man and his senses fought with him beside himself and thrust the thorn into his own eyes. Ah, uh, you who smite with your sword him beside himself, you smite yourself therewith. Beware. For he that is beside himself is annihilated and safe. Yea, he dwells in security forever. His form is vanished, he is a mere mirror. Nothing is seen in him but the reflection of another. If you spit at it, you spit at your own face. And if you hit that mirror, you hit yourself. And if you see an ugly face in it, it is your own. And if you see Jesus there, you are his mother Mary. He is neither this nor that. He is void of form. It is your own form which is reflected back to you. But when the discourse reaches this point, lip is closed. When pen reaches this point, it is split in twain. 
Close then your lips, though eloquence be possible. Keep silence. God knows the right way. And along on a much lesser note, lower level, uh, the story of the four Hindustanis uh, who judged, okay? Four Hindustanis went to the mosque to say their prayers. Each one duly pronounced the takbir and was saying his prayers with great devotion when the muezzin happened to come in. One of them immediately called out, Oh, muezzin, have you yet called to prayer? It's time to do so. Then the second said to the speaker, Ha, you have spoken words unconnected with worship, and therefore, according to the tradition, you have spoiled your prayers. Thereupon the third scolded the last speaker, saying, O oh, simpleton, why do you rebuke him? Rather rebuke yourself. Last of all, the fourth said, God be praised that I have not fallen into the same ditch as my three companions. The moral is not to find fault with others, but rather to be admonished by their bad example. And uh, a brief writing of Master Kripal on judging others. This is from the Ambrosial Hour. If we realize that death is certain, then there will be a change in our life. You must remain attentive in meditation. If not, the mind will think of others and judge their actions, criticizing, etc. Instead of the good actions of others, we take their bad actions to be our guiding factor. If you see the bad qualities of others, you will become those bad qualities. As you think, so you become. And notice the Milano Rumi's image of the mirror um, very much applies here. You know, we are what we see. God has said, he is my loveliest child who sees me in others. Thoughts are very potent. You should see the good qualities of others rather than their bad qualities. You must have a sweet tongue. It should not injure the feelings of others. You want to love God, yet you curse others in whom God resides. Injuring the feelings of others is a great sin. It is a sin of the highest degree. That is to say, it misses the point more than anything else, and it is um, a pretty thoroughgoing forgetting. If you have to face a person with such bad qualities, get on to one side rather than face him. Analyze yourself and see your own shortcomings instead of seeing the shortcomings of others. Who are you to take out the shortcomings of others? It is easy to seek God, but very difficult to mend yourself. If you realize that God resides in others, would you want to hurt them? One by one, you should give up your shortcomings. This is why I insist on all initiates keeping a diary. 
If a man won't give up his evil ways of hurting others, why should you depart from your sweet ways of helping others? If you must observe others, then observe their virtuous qualities. There are shortcomings in all, but also good qualities. Swamiji says, I will give you a tip. If you want to see shortcomings, look into your own self. If you want to see virtues, then see them in others. Listen to what I say and take heed. If not, you will be sorry, and then it will be too late in the day. I have selected the best piece of advice for you. Now it is up to you to follow it. God has given us this tongue to remember him and not to hurt the feelings of others. And I, you know, all of these readings, uh, again, it is not a question of the Master rebuking us or making us feel bad. It's a question of revealing to us the pattern that he can see but we cannot. Our judgments are based on the assumption that we understand things, you know. We see a few uh, outer actions and we think we know all about them. In fact, we know nothing about them. All we know is what we see. And the assumption that we know what we don't know, which is really pretty basic to all of us, I think, it, you know, it's the way we have learned how to live in this world as it exists. Um, it's pretty hard not to judge in that way, but the fact is that we must. And the Master will, you know, help us do that and, and does it himself. And because he gives us the love and the forgiveness that he's talking about, he makes it possible uh, for us to do it too. It becomes possible, and we can do it. I want to conclude with a fairly long reading. Um, the talk that Sanchi gave um, to the Sevadars of Sant Bani Ashram in May 1977. And this talk is called The Enemy Within. And I, this was not a public talk. Uh, Sanchi didn't, this was not a satsang. Uh, when Sanchi was at Sant Bani in May 77, a lot of things happened. But among them were uh, two meetings that he called of the Sevadars that lived at the ashram. At this time, uh, he sat us down. This was toward the end of the stay, and of course his bout with malaria had come in between. And it was clear, I think, to all of us that he was giving us a warning on this uh, talk, which, by the way, we totally ignored after he left. And if you want to know what happened, to some extent, um, and what Sanchi was warning us against and what he knew was going to happen, you can find it in Kent Bicknell's book, Rainbow in My Heart, because uh, there is a big section in which he talks about exactly how um, the Sevadars of Satvani Ashram, including me, by the way, uh, was not something, it was a, a thing that we all of us got into one way or another. Uh, it showed exactly how we totally ignored and forgot everything that Sanchi said in his talk, even though 
We played the tape of this talk at ashram meetings for years. It was not a, a good tape. It was very poor, but we still played it. But even so, we forgot entirely what he said. As Master Kripal Singh said one time uh, after a talk, after somebody had totally acted opposite to what he said, perhaps you were thinking I was talking to somebody else. Anyway, this was a very sober discourse that he gave to the Sevadars down at his house at Sampani Ashram. Swamiji Maharaj says, how can I tell you all the tricks of the mind? The mind has so many ways in which he can deceive us that we cannot describe all his tricks. What does he do? He destroys the love in the satsangis, and instead of that love, he fills them from within with jealousy, with duality, and people start hating each other. What does Maya do? Maya brings illusion within us, and Kao colors that with the color of dirt. And then we also behave like ordinary worldly people after giving up our meditations. What does Kao do with us? Whatever good thoughts we have had by attending the satsang, whatever meditation we have done, whatever knowledge we have achieved through the satsang, when the time comes, the negative power tries his level best and plays all his tricks to take those things away from us. If someone has achieved a little bit of love and the will of the master or saint, the negative power tries to take that away from him also in due course of time. Swamiji Maharaj says, it is a surprising thing that when the negative power attacks us, we forget the forgiveness which we have received after attending the satsangs. And I tell you, I find that sentence one of the most powerful ever said by any master. Swamiji Maharaj says, it is a surprising thing that when the negative power attacks us, we forget the forgiveness which we have received after attending the satsangs. If we could remember how we are forgiven, you see, then we would avoid the fate of the guy in the parable who obviously forgot totally that he was forgiven uh, when he met his fellow servant. And if we think of the definition of sin as forgetting of origin, we could see also if we can remember who we really are and where we came from, we will not forget that we have been forgiven to the degree that we have forgotten. Okay. How does Kal or the negative power affect us? We are called satsangis and we are satsangis and we are all brothers and sisters and master. But Kal sits in us and makes us fight among our brothers and sisters. He creates dryness within us and tells us what is in meditation. Coming into the satsang also, he disturbs us. He does not leave us even for a minute. Once the negative power came to Guru Nanak and said, you are giving grace to many people and liberating them. So give me some room in your sangha so that I can also get something from you. 
Guru Nanak said, there's no room for you. But if you still want, you can sit in the place where the shoes of all the people are kept. That is why when we are sitting in satsang, after hearing the talk of the master, we make up our mind that we will do whatever master has told us to do. But as soon as we come to the place where the shoes are kept and we put on our shoes, the negative power starts affecting us and we forget everything we have learned in satsang. If the satsangis are loving and respecting each other and doing their meditation, then if the negative power cannot do anything to the meditators, he goes to the sevadars. And sitting in the sevadars, he will pull their minds in different directions. He will tear the sevadars apart and he will not allow them to make their seva successful. If he is not successful in using any of his tricks on us, then what does he do? He takes whatever seva we have done. Guru Nanak says, it is easy to do seva, but it is difficult to maintain it. How does he dwell in the sevadars? He comes and sits in the minds of the sevadars, and that's why some of them think that they are very good sevadars, that they are doing very good seva, and that nobody else is competent like them. And some people think that they are very good at organizing. So sitting in their mind, he creates this type of thing within the sevadars. Because if a few people start praising us, folding hands to us, then we don't want to stay on the ground. We start flying. We think we are also something. Now when the sevadars go in different directions and start fighting with one another, Master warns us and rebukes us, what have you done? You shouldn't do that. And then the satsangis realize and they repent. But they do not understand the tricks of the negative power, which is really the crux of the matter, you know. We think we understand things, but we don't. We don't know what is working behind the outer veil, really. When the sevadars start fighting with each other and becoming angry with each other, Master rebukes us and tells us, your work is to do seva and you have to set an example for other people. When Master is telling us that, then our mind starts making excuses to the Master and people start arguing and explaining to the Master, no, this is right or this is wrong. And this was something Sanchi mentioned a number of times uh, that people, and occasionally me, by the way, again, would write him and tell him all the things that somebody else did wrong and he is supposed to take their side. He found this very difficult to deal with. Made him tremendously unhappy. This is the law of nature. The soul which is affected by the tricks of the negative power and who starts finding faults in master goes back into the cycle of 84 lakhs, births and deaths. And I will tell you one thing that may have happened that may have contributed to this, although I, you know, I, I, I don't understand either how all these things tie together, so this is just a thought, that when Sanchi was sick, you know, he was with at Sant Bani that May of 77, he had malaria and he was really very 
scarily sick. And I, this is not, to say that I'm not proud of this is um, like an understatement, okay? I wish heartily I could undo it. But I got very angry that he was um, sick because I wanted the tour to go the way I wanted it to go, which was having him be strong and healthy and seeing everyone who came and all like that. And when I, you know, his his illness gradually crept up on us. There were, I mean, because he, he uh, did not succumb to it, if that's the correct way to describe it, which I don't say it is, but... Uh, like he held satsang for an hour and a half after he was sick um, one day, the Sunday. And so I didn't fully realize how sick he was. But when I realized that we were going to have to cancel all the program, you know, for the foreseeable future, and that um, he gave me some instructions that I found incomprehensible also. And I have written about that, although not in a very accessible place, I don't think. But um, I came up to my the little house that we were living in at the time, and I exploded. I was angry. I, I don't say I was angry at Sanchi particularly. I was angry at God for letting it happen. And uh, I, you know, I, I did, in a very real sense, I did find fault with the Master, the way that he is saying here um, and I exploded in anger and I very shortly after that I went down to his house and uh, he called me in Papu said uh, he wants to see you earlier he, well you know my chronology is off on this I now remember more or less everything happening simultaneously but uh, at some point after that explosion, he called me in, and he was thrashing around on the bed. That's how sick he was. And I looked at him, and he looked at me while he was thrashing, and he said, You see, Russell, I am not sick. My body is sick. And he looked at me, and I saw his face was absolutely serene and aglow with light, although his body was jumping around on the bed. And it was, you know, it was a very great lesson for me. And one that I heartily wish that I hadn't needed. But it was very clear. At another time, uh, we were trying to arrange for him to go to Hanover to uh, the Mary Hitchcock Clinic at Dartmouth, where Dick Cardozo, who is a satsangi, was um, a very distinguished surgeon there. And uh, it was by this time it seemed that he had malaria, and Sanchi wanted to go on a given day. And I, I call, I talked to Dick, and he said, um, you know, uh, not to go on this day because it was already too late in the day, and he would, um, it, the tests wouldn't work, and uh, so we should wait and go in two days. So I went back down. Um, to the house, and I said, I said that, and Papu, um, he went in, he came out and he said, no, he's got to go now, and I said, can I go in and explain uh, what the doctor said, so that 
uh, he will understand why. And Papu went in and he came out and he said, uh, the master doesn't want to see you, he just wants to go now. So again, I, and I don't remember whether this came, I think it must have come after the previous thing. And I went back up to the house. I felt totally defeated. The doctor had explained to me what was wanted and uh, I couldn't make it happen. So I called Dick back and I told him, I said, well, since you wants to come now. He said, all right, bring him. Totally uh, back down, you might say, except I'm sure he didn't see it that way at all. So I went down and I drove them over, got there and Dick um, brought him in. They had the, one of the foremost authorities on malaria in the whole country was on the staff there. And uh, the test did work. Everything worked out perfectly and he was given medicine. And uh, when we went back, he was already um, very much recovered. And I, I understood that I had been, again, extremely wrong. And I, I apologized to him. I said um, that I, I understand that, that I was totally wrong on this. And he said, yes, it was not right, Russell, for us to lose another day or two. Um, and he was able to start the program again the following day because of having gone that day. So I tell you that when it comes to thinking that you understand things and uh, thinking that the master, there's something wrong here because he's sick and, uh, you know, that, that uh, understanding his point of view, which comes from seeing the pattern within of how things really work and assuming that we know better than him. I mean, I wrote the book, literally. And, uh, yeah, anyway, okay. Anyone who starts finding faults in master goes back into the cycle, all right? Very dire warning, I will tell you. Swamiji Maharaj says, it is a pity that 10 years, 5 years, 20 years have passed by doing satsang, but we have never recognized our master as the form of God. We have never had love and respect for each other, which is, I mean, if we could understand how these things work, it would be as clear as crystal to us. But what he's saying here very clearly is that it is, if we recognize our master as the form of God, the way that expresses itself, that recognition, is by having love and respect for each other. It's an absolutely bound up together kind of thing. We have never had love and respect for each other, and we have never had any effect from the satsangs which we have been doing. We were supposed to make our minds humble by doing seva, but instead of that, we have got egoism in our minds. If you cannot do anything, at least request your master. Oh, master, we are helpless in front of negative power, but the negative power is not stronger than you. You help us, save us from the effect of the negative power. Do the simran which he has given to you. Take the medicine which he tells you to take. Keep the abstinence which he is telling you to keep, and the disease will go away. When we call our master, what does master do? 
He purifies the minds of the satsangis who are torn apart and are fighting with each other. When master makes their minds pure, they start loving each other and everything becomes as it was before. And when we do meditation, we again get the same love for each other and we start living in love as we were doing before. Swamiji Maharaj says, what is the duty of satsangis? To live in love for each other and to always maintain that love. This is the order for all satsangis, to love each other, to be united, and to meditate. If the satsangis are not loving each other, if they are not remaining united, if they are not meditating, that means that they are surrendering to the negative power. So Swamiji Maharaj says, if obeying our requests, all the satsangis could love other satsangis and meditate, they will go to the court of Satpurush and there is no obstacle which will prevent them from going to his court. So don't let your intellect come between you and God. Do the devotion of Satguru and don't keep any worries in your mind. And I would make two points about worries here. Uh, one is that we worry because uh, just as when we judge, we think we understand what's happening and we're afraid of its result. It's again because we think we are under the illusion that we know what's going on and we don't. And the second thing, and there's a section, of course, that Jesus says very close to the section I read about not worrying. And the other thing, which is pretty obvious, I think, is that uh, worrying, of course, is a form of fear, and we know what fear is. Sanchi has told us very specifically that it's the greatest sin of all. And fear is, uh, I mean, when we worry, we are afraid that something will turn out badly, it won't go the right way, not that we have any idea what the right way is. And... Um, so that the two things, judging and worrying, are like two sides of the same thing. Because now you have the non-initiation and Satguru has given you the opportunity to do the seva. Remember, he was talking to sevadars here. Every single person in the room was responsible for some kind of seva or other. To meditate and earn that nam. So do the seva and always remember Satguru with each and every breath. But if you have any skill with which you can do seva, don't let egoism come in your mind. When you do any seva, always understand yourself as the low one and always understand another as the higher person. Don't expect that after doing seva, people should pay you. And you should never think about praise from people. You should never go on repeating your own praise to the people about your seva, that you have done this seva, but always keep humility in their mind, in your mind. Many people have this habit that unless they repeat their own praise, it goes on increasing in their stomach and they can't digest it. And then he tells what to me has always been one of the most interesting stories that the masters have ever told. He, he actually told it twice on the 77 tour. 
And once at satsang uh, years ago, at Santhani, I either read this story or played the tape that it was on, I don't remember. And uh, a person who was there, who was a friend of Miriam's from college, Miriam was going to Mount Holyoke at the time, uh, who was studying Greek literature, showed me in a book she had of stories from Greek, the Greeks, the very same story, uh, only in a Greek context with different names and so forth. Uh, so it's a, it's a very universal kind of story. Asanchi got it from Bishandas, as he says. Baba Bishandas used to tell this story. There was a king with, who had two horns on his head. He had a special barber who did not tell anyone about the horns because that was the question of his trust. But when that barber left the body, the king was very concerned. He thought, now another barber will not be able to digest this information. He will tell other people, and that is not good. King, of course, would have been wearing a turban uh, whenever he was seen by other people. The only time he had to take it off when other people were around was when he would be getting his hair cut. So he called another barber whose name was Veer Babaru. He asked him, do you know why I have called you? Veer Babaru replied, yes, because I'm a very good barber and I can cut your hair beautifully. That's why you have called me. The king said, well, that's one thing, but there is one more reason why I've called you here. Veer Babaru said, I don't know that reason. So the king took off his cap and showed him, you see, I have two horns, but you should not tell this to anyone. If you tell it to anyone, I will kill you, also your family, plus the person to whom you tell this secret. So beware that you don't tell this to anyone. Veer Babaru said, okay, I'll do that. But that man had the habit that if he could not tell something to others, he would not feel good and he could not hold anything else in his stomach. When he went back to his home and he was not allowed to tell this thing to others, his stomach went on increasing and increasing because that thing was still in his stomach. Eventually he became sick because he could not tell it to anyone. Many doctors were called, but that was not a disease that a doctor could cure. Some wise people were called and they thought that it had something to do with his mind. They asked him, tell us the truth. Why is this? He said, well, I have one thing, but if I, I tell this thing to anyone, then I will be killed and my family will also die. But if I don't tell it, then you see my condition and I will die in either case. So one of the wise men told him, he was lying on a bed, he could not walk, to tell four people to take his bed into the forest and then go away from him. And facing any tree, he could tell it whatever he had on his mind. And that way he could get rid of it and his stomach would become all right. So he went there and facing toward one tree, he said in a very impressive chant, Veer Babaru says this, the king has two horns. It so happened that later that tree was cut down and the wood was used in making a harmonium and tabla, two instruments used in India, of course. Then the king's wife gave birth to a son, so the king called all the musicians to celebrate. It so happened that the musicians were using the same harmonium and tabla. 
Before starting a program, they tuned their instruments, and when they started tuning the harmonium, the sound came. The king has two horns. The people were amazed and asked, who says this? And when the tabla player started tuning, it said, Vir Babaru. The harmonium was sounding like, the king has two horns, and the people would say, who is saying this? And the tabla would sound like, Vir Babaru. So then the king took off his hat and said, it is true, I have two horns. So people like Vir Babaru cannot hold anything in their stomachs, and this thing happened. And I, you know, the story is, um, I used to wonder sometimes how relevant this story was to the general opportunity, I mean, the general point that Sanchi is making here. I, I said opportunity because that's in the next sentence. My eye caught a hold of it for a second. But the point is, I think, well, I think there are a number of points, um, but one of them is how hard it is to not fail in the way that he's talking about and how basically Vir Babaru couldn't do what was he required to do, but he was forgiven. In fact, he was not killed, and his family wasn't killed, and neither were the people in the uh, room at the time killed. And the king admitted it. So it's like, we shouldn't be like that, but if we are like that, it's very understandable, I guess. If we people get the opportunity from God to do the seva, we should hold everything within us, but not like Vir Barbaru. We should not let our stomach go on increasing and increasing. We should digest it. Swamiji Maharaj says, Why are you proud? Who knows at what moment death will come? Whatever seva we do, only that is counted in our devotion. You see the beggar, how much people are taunting him and giving him a very hard time, but he is so humble that he never replies to that treatment. No matter what anybody says, the beggar will not give any place to that bad feeling in his mind. And if you have any experience of Indian beggars, you will know that whatever else they do, they keep on begging, no matter what. And so it's like... Um, they are not deflected from their purpose um, at all. Without Satguru's grace, a soul cannot be successful. That's why we should always remember that it is Satguru's grace which is working and helping us in our every single work. One other thing also comes up here. Some people show love and humility from outside, but from within they are jealous and hate others. For them, purification is almost impossible. Master Sawan Singhji used to say that it is not a good thing to remove one veil and hide in another veil. It is not good to purify from outside, but from inside leave all the dirt uncleared. That beggar has not attended any satsangs, but still he is pure. But you have attended many satsangs. You have done many things, but still you have not given up your egoism. Still you have not developed humility. Then what have you done after attending so many satsangs? First of all, develop humility and keep that humility within you. And if anybody commits any mistake, others should try to forgive him and the person who is doing the mistake should repent. 
If anyone is doing something wrong, talking or saying bitter words towards others, it is the work of the one who has done that to go and ask for forgiveness from the others. Any heart in which jealousy is and enmity is there, when looking at other people's seva and meditation, is very difficult to purify. That heart himself feels that pain, and it is very difficult to get rid of that pain. Whoever has jealousy in him, he should understand that he is losing too much. If he himself cannot do anything about that, he should ask for Satguru's help. And only with the Satguru's help and grace, he can resolve that problem. But he who has this thing in his heart, he himself should give some attention to purification. And we can purify ourselves from within only with the help of Simran. Simran can do that. Swamiji Maharaj says, you don't understand that no enemy is coming from outside. Mind, our enemy, is residing within us. Mind is within everyone. You should not think that only the other person has the enemy, the mind, and that you don't. Everybody has the mind. Everybody has his enemy within. And that enemy is the agent of Kal, and he has the duty from Kal not to allow any soul to do Satguru's work. That's why he is holding us. So what is the medicine for this? Do satsang and get the earnings of the meditation of Nam and receive the grace of the Master. With the help of and grace of the Master, all our bad deeds and thoughts will go away from us and we will become pure. But those who hide everything from their Satguru and after going to the Satguru, even if they have many faults, still say, I have not done any mistake and I am doing so much meditation. For such people, what can be done? Such a person never understands that Master is looking at his every thought, his every action. He always takes the Master as an ordinary human being. And that is why he goes on committing mistakes under the impression that nobody is there to see them. And that's, I'm going to stop there. There's a little bit left, and you can look it up in the Ambrosial Hour. It's worth a lot of study. Notice that that is another form of attacking the mirror. It's the heart that is jealous that feels the pain, and it is... Um, when we try to hide things from the Master, or when we assume that we can hide things from the Master, truly, uh, that we, in actual fact, injure ourselves, not Him. Oh, yeah, closing bhajan is on page 51. Shakirpal Piyariya. Beloved Shakirpal, Wait a moment. We are weeping over our fate. Listen to our sorrowful matter, O Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. The beautiful one is present within all, 
but no one has known his secret. We have kept you in our heart. Give us your strength. Even gods and goddesses want you. Even the moon and sun feel embarrassed before you. Beloved of Shah Sawan, do not forget us even for a moment. The emperor is the treasurer of the true Nam. You are the giver, we are the beggars. We have lost our heart making requests. Remove the pain of separation. This soul without honor makes this request as your abode is in such kind. Beloved, give us your radiant darshan now. Don't delay it even for a moment. This world is a whirlwind. We have relied only on you. Oh, support of the jade, don't leave my sight even for a moment. Beloved Shah Kirpal, wait a moment. We are weeping over our fate. Listen to our sorrowful matter, O oh Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 51. Shakir Pahlapiyariya Atika Zaraya Kapal Javi Asironde Kare Nasibanu Sadi Sunadar Dadi Gal Javi O Sai Sunadar Dadi Gal Javi Shakir Pahlapiyariya Oh, sorry, soon the daughter died. 
Kripal, wait a moment. We are weeping over our fate. Listen to our sorrowful matter, O Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. May God bless us all.